Hi, this is Jeannie Drisco bringing you an episode of The Art and Soul of Healing. Today on the wings of Alliance for Natural Health USA, we will be traveling to Denver, Colorado to visit with Dr. Ron Minson. Dr. Ron has been Clinical Director of Integrated Listening Systems and its predecessor, Dynamic Listening Systems, founded in 2001. Integrated Listening Systems, or ILS, is a powerful tool to help with brain healing, as you will hear from Dr. Ron. Dr. Ron was fortunate to be trained by the godfather of the field, Dr. Alfred Tomatis. Dr. Ron is a medical doctor, double-boarded in psychiatry and neurology. After this training with Dr. Tomatis, he dedicated his professional life to the clinical practice of sound therapy, learning and teaching all he could from some of the most advanced practitioners in Europe. Now, after many years of clinical practice, both with adults and children, he is devoting his time to supervising tough cases and educating, as well as writing training materials. I'd like to welcome Dr. Ron Minson. So thank you, Dr. Ron, for joining me today on the Art and Soul of Healing. Welcome. Thank you. It's a delight to be here. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to our discussion. I know you have been involved in clinical work helping patients with a variety of developmental, neurologic, psychiatric disorders for over 30 years. And you have done this as the director of Integrated Listening Systems. First, give us an understanding of the therapy from your experience, beginning with Dr. Alfred Tomatis. Thank you. I'd uh, I'd love to do that. So the foundation of Integrated Listening System does go back about 35 years to the time when I studied with Dr. Tomatis in France. And I spent uh, six weeks over four months studying his method. And I was led to his work through a struggle to find help from my daughter who suffered from dyslexia. When she went to school, she was so excited to go. And she looked forward to school as her older brother and sister had. But when she got there, it wasn't very long before she wasn't paying attention. She was acting out. And she was diagnosed within a year or so of dys- with dyslexia, which as we know is difficulty with reading. And we searched everywhere for help for her and nothing, nothing helped. So Tomatis came about when she was 19 years of age after 13 years or more of searching for help. We did uh, special education, speech and language therapy, and many other things, including medications for depression and for attention. And by the time she was 19, she was in a major depressive episode, and I'd been through 15 years of trying to find a solution for her dyslexia, which was becoming life-threatening. So I heard about the Tomatis method, which to my medical ears sounded rather strange Mm -hmm. and familiar. No one here was really doing that. So nevertheless, we did the program together. And it literally changed her life. 
Uh, not only did she begin to read and remember facts and figures as she had not been able to before, but she also had this depression that I mentioned that was recalcitrant. It did not respond to medication or therapies, and it totally lifted. Mm. So that, looking uh, for a solution for her dyslexia, I actually found one for her depression that nothing else had helped. Wow. So to Europe to study with Dr. Tomatis. And it's a sound-based therapy using treated music of Mozart. I was living in uh, Prescott, Arizona. And so that's where I was living when she did the program. Uh, and then when I went to France and came back, I thought I might want to do this for a career, not so much at that time to help children with learning disabilities and attention problems, but because her depression had lifted. When nothing else worked, it was non-invasive, there were no side effects, and it was effective. So it was really that impetus that got me on the path of maybe looking at whether I would like to do this or not. When you saw this need for clinic practice, you, you were a trained psychiatrist at that point, so I think you really saw more of a global value for this. How did you end up in Denver? I had lived in Denver before. This is actually where I took my psychiatry training. And I had been here from 1973 until 79 in a private practice. I'm board certified in psychiatry and neurology. So this is where I had my practice. And during the so-called energy crisis, I was looking for a town with less uh, crime, with less smog, with less fewer problems. Mm -hmm. And we went to Prescott, Arizona, where I was there for another 11 years before coming back to Denver. I see. I, I had a really good reputation here, so that added a lot to the reason for I came back, and I was well known among all my psychiatry colleagues, and so it was a natural, natural shift to come back again. Dr. Ron, what did you learn from this pilot project in Prescott, Arizona? Well, thank you for that question, and I learned a great deal, the most important of which is I decided that this would be my new career, and so it was a career shift for me. In this program, I think people need to understand what they were doing. You're listening to filtered and treated music of Mozart through headphones that are also adapted with a bone conductor, conductor that sits on the top of the strap. So you're getting sound, music of Mozart, through air conduction and bone conduction. What I saw in this pilot project, which included about 20 people, um, was I remember one little girl, Sally, who I'd like to talk about. Sally came in, reminded me so much of my daughter who had suffered from dyslexia. As she had reading problems, was diagnosed with dyslexia in her school. So she came in, I talked to all children, and I said, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? And little Sally said, well, I want to be a teacher, but I can't. I said, why not? She said, well, I'm not smart. I said, well, I think you're smart. How did you decide you weren't smart? She said, I can't read and spell good, and I get bad grades. So she did the program. At, this was a predecessor to, this was actually the Tomatis method, uh, the predecessor to what became Integrated Listening System. And after about six weeks of her listening program, I was doing a follow-up session with her. And she came in bouncing, happy, bubbly, totally out of character for mm -hmm. her. And I said, Sally, what's up? Did you get a new boyfriend? <laughs> she said, no. And she said, I'm smart now. Mm -hmm. now. Well, I knew that. What happened that you found out? 
She said, I got good grades. I have all A's and B's and only one C. Oh my gosh. That literally sealed my decision. Plus we had a woman who was a nurse who had severe uh, anxiety, generalized anxiety disorder. We had a couple who were in their eighties who was taking the course just because they wanted to get along better. They wanted to improve their communication. And at the end of the listening, it was a 30 day program. They were just sitting next to each other as before they were sitting at separate tables. Oh, interesting. Our marriage is so much better. And that's well, what happened. She said, we both gave up the need to be right. <laughs> Our psychological, emotional, and physiological changes with this. And I could go on. There are examples of children I've worked with with ADD, too, who've had improvements. So, um, maybe a way to segue into your question about the vestibular system is to talk about the experiences. So with that... I returned to Denver. My wife, who had supported me all the way through this, said that she would help me for one year. 20 years later, <laughs> we were together. And in Denver, I started to practice. And many, many, the, I had about 70% of my clientele were children and 30% were adult. The kids that came in were mixtures of learning disabilities, attention deficit disorder, uh, behavioral problems, some with autism, autism, some were on the spectrum. And here's what I noticed that gave me a clue to how this system was working for dyslexia in particular. When boys and girls would come in, I'd sit down and talk to them about sports, about their hobbies, activities. And boys would say they don't get chosen for being on a particular team because they can't run as well as others. They're, they can't throw and catch a ball as well as they need to, to be in a team. Girls would say that they can't do gymnastics well, their balance is off, they can't do ballet. So these were things that I learned about them, but they weren't the reason why they came in. They mm -hmm. came because they had attention problems, behavioral issues, or learning issues. What I observed and this leads up to the answer about the vestibular system, is that every one of them had poor coordination, poor balance, difficulty with spatial orientation. And when I was sitting with them and going through these interviews every seven days of listening, I saw that their balance was better, their coordination. Boys were telling me they now got chosen for the soccer team or the baseball team. Girls were doing gymnastics and dance. And what I saw was that there, and as soon as this happened, as soon as their body came into organization, they no longer had dyslexia. They could now pay attention. They could focus. So that taught me that the, the body organization is crucial to higher brain organization. And we live in a scientific world where everything is, to me, corticocentric. We look at the brain and try to figure out how it controls different functions by looking at the cortex and the outflow. But mm -hmm. I learned from this experience that the brain is dependent on the quality of and integrity of the input. So the ILS is truly a bottom-up approach to brain organization. Once you get good input to the brain and it's organized, then you have effective and good output for the demands of life. 
Well, that's really interesting. And I know you've said in some of your lectures, this makes the person feel embodied. Yes, yes. And a lot of that comes through the vestibular system, which now I can go into easily. The inner ear has two parts, the cochlear system and the vestibular apparatus. And those are all part of one system. The bone conduction that is part of the headset vibrates the fluid in the vestibular system. And the vestibular system goes to every single muscle in the human body. So that's where we see body organization. And I didn't know how important body organization was to support a higher cognitive function, but it's essential. You know, I've seen this in some of the children that I've sent to ILS training here in Kansas City. So that, that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to interview you, because the results for these children is life-changing. Well, I can tell you that's not only life-changing for the children, and thank you for your referrals. I think you know, not only was her life saved, because she was in a pretty deep depression, Parents like myself are desperate and at frantic and loose ends because so many of the traditional therapies like speech therapy are not effective for a reading problem. And also teachers, bless their heart, they're so well-meaning and want to help, but helping a child with a reading problem by having them do phonics and those kinds of things is not effective. And so they spend years and years as I did with many, many frustrating and frightening experiences that my daughter's not going to make it. Mm. To do this system, it improves auditory processing. It improves visual, auditory, visual processing. I should mention that music and language use the same auditory pathways. Classical music has all of the frequencies of sound. And when you improve the discrimination and the processing of sound frequencies, then the brain can apply those to the symbol where you have decoding and phonemic awareness because the sound makes the letter come alive. Mm-hmm. As the letters of our alphabet look like hieroglyphics, they don't make mm-hmm. any sense. So they, what gives them life and vitality is the sound that we attach to the symbol. Mm-hmm. So Sound symbol relationship is crucial for any child suffering from a dyslexic situation. So you have said that in the course of time, you found adding this movement to the music and the auditory input helped organize brain function. It improved brain function. Yes. So the auditory input, I know Tomatis initially used Mozart, which is rich in strings. Um, but you've added uh, other types of classical music. Is that correct? Yes, we have. And Mozart is wonderful. And he chose that for a variety of reasons, um, particularly for the fact that um, it has all the frequencies. And he believes that Mozart's music is very well organized in structure and form that fits very much with brain organization. But as time went on, I did add some, again, all orchestral pieces uh, from Haydn, from Vivaldi, uh, and a few other composers, almost always strings or quartets uh, or symphony. And initially, uh, as I understand it, the music is the full spectrum. Uh, Yes. And and then what happens as you progress with the ILS therapy sessions? 
What happens depends on which kind of program the client may be listening to. For example, with dyslexia, you listen to the full spectrum through both air and bone conduction. And then we partway through the program, we begin to focus on the language bandwidths. So we might remove those frequencies below 750 and above 4,000 and just listen to a, the music just through that <clears throat> window of frequencies from 750 to 4,000. Um, so again, it's adjusted a lot. The high frequencies are very alerting. They increase a sense of inspiration of creativity. So we also see people becoming much more creative, much more inspired, and less willing to put up with relationships, for example, that no longer serve their needs. Mm, interesting. Interesting. So really, this does improve brain function overall from the... Yes, the, absolutely. And the movement that you... Up. Yes, quite a bit. The movement that you referred to came along later when we realized that putting movement together with the music and the bone conduction just enhanced the overall speed with which the brain becomes organized, both body and brain. Well, I know you have evidence of brain improvement through neurofeedback QEEG. How are these brainwaves changed with the ILS program? I've worked with a number of, of children and adults years ago when I was doing quantitative neuro, neurofeedback, and we measured the changes on a quantitative EEG system. Uh, a number of ways they change. Maybe I'll just pick two quickly. One of the first people that I treated as an adult was a woman who was a professor at the University of Boulder in the Department of Music Therapy. She had had two whiplashes, severe whiplashes, and had to retire from her position. And was at this, I saw her two years after her second whiplash. And she was on a number of medications for pain control, for anxiety, and other issues. And her brain showed a lot of difficulty with brain organization, the areas of language, attention, motivation, and so forth. After the program, this beautiful woman, her 50s, was able to get off of all her medication, no longer had any symptoms of head injury. And all the treatment that she had, the only intervention was doing the listening therapy that we were doing together. So her brain changed a lot. You do know a lot about brain, about neurofeedback, but I won't go into depth, but there were improvements in connectivity, in coherence, and different aspects of brain function. So show that this brain is a healthy brain now, as opposed to the areas that showed damage before. Another way in which EEGs revealed what was happening was children who have attention deficit disorder. We know that the problem is in the right frontal temporal lobe where there is hypoactivity. And what we saw was diminished activity. And after doing a number of sessions of integrated listening system, we saw that this area now was functioning normally. My hunch on what's going on is that we're getting a lot of stimulation through the movement and through bone conduction to the basal ganglia. And we know that there's an anterior dopamine pathway from the basal ganglia to that right frontal, frontal temporal cortex that is the underlying cause of attention deficits. 
So this just became normalized completely. And many, many, many children, hundreds actually, were able to get off their stimulant medication. I know you've talked about um, this dyslexia in the body. And there was a story that you've relayed about an eight-year-old boy. Yes, I, I think I was um, thinking of him when I was talking to you about the children who come to me who had dyslexia. And almost every child I saw with dyslexia had difficulties with body organization. So this was reflected in poor balance, poor spatial awareness. They couldn't catch a ball well. They with inaccuracy. So this was a, a young boy who I'm thinking of who had that same profile. And as soon as his body organization came into or was organized, his reading and attention abilities improved to the point where he was able to be successful at his grade level. What other types of people benefit from this approach? You bet. Well, let's talk about children. Those are children with attention, learning, and behavioral issues. And uh, children who are on the spectrum have also seen tremendous improvements to the point where the child of one pediatrician in town who was diagnosed with uh, autism was able to no longer carry the diagnosis of autism. She was literally cured. And I know the literature says that you cannot cure it, but we saw a number of children who no longer had any remnants of their previous autistic behaviors or cognitive issues. But autism, behavioral issues, any kind of learning problem is, responds to this extremely well. With adults, I'm particularly fond of working with adult traumatic brain injury. Across the board, we see marked improvement in the, health, in the healing and health of a brain following traumatic brain injury. But people also uh, who are just looking for ways to improve their focus, their attention, or their processing abilities, or their endure, mental endurance have found tremendous improvement. We have one program that we call Prime Performance. It's a very short program, very, very rich in high frequencies. Uh, by high frequencies, I mean they gradually filter out the low frequencies to the point where after about five or six days, they're only listening to those frequencies above 4,000 hertz. Very, wow. very inspiring. So it's hard to talk about this because we just don't have the kind of clinical research that people would like and I would like to document it. All of my experience has been from personal experience as a therapist and working with people. So the PRIME program really helps with creativity. Yes, prime performance is called. Uh -huh. Okay, prime performance. And is it based also on the uh, movement with uh, filter frequencies? When I initially developed that program, um, we everyone just listened at that time to the air and bone conduction. The movement was added in 2012, I believe. Let me no, actually 2007, and. We don't always use the movement activities as much with adults who are already functioning extremely well, um, but all children do go through the movement program and many adults also, particularly if you have a head injury or uh, any kind of cognitive delay or memory problems, the movement activities are very, very important. But for a person coming in for <clears throat> improved cognitive abilities, they generally will just do the listening. 
and uh, it's a very specialized piece of equipment. I've seen it. It's it has headphones, and the headphones are attached to uh, a device that uh, plays the music through the bone conduction and the headphones. Correct. The music is on an MP3 player, actually an iPod, and it has to be an iPod because the iPod has lossless compression. That means no frequencies are removed. And some of the MP3 players will remove them, and that's not what we want. So the apparatus you're referring to is the amplifier that provides the input to the bone conduction as well as the air conduction. And is that, is that in the band of the headphone? The bone conduction is in the band, uh-huh. yes. It's a, actually, basically, it's a, it's a hearing aid. Okay. So old hearing aids that people have behind the ears, the great big ones, that's what it is, and it goes right into the band of the headphone. Oh, that's interesting. I, I was not aware of that. So are there any other stories that you find compelling? Yes. There, is, there was a young man who was a national-level skier, attempting to get onto the Olympic team, U.S. Olympic ski team. And he came to us to just improve his balance, coordination, reflexes. And he is the only one out of eight people who was able to be selected for the actual Olympic team. Uh, So we've seen many kids. There are people who are basketball players, volleyball players, who have done the program because they know it improves their timing, their reflexes, their eye-hand coordination, foot coordination. So people in sports and uh, have definitely benefited from this, and they don't have a particular disability. They simply want to improve upon the abilities that they already have. Well, how I know there's, with the children and some of the people that maybe are more severely uh, injured with a brain injury, for example, it, this program can take time. I mean, it's not a quick, like one month, quick fix type of a, a program. Not at all. Yes. So I think people need to understand that they, they need to stick with it for such wonderful benefits. But with the athletes, do they have a more attenuated time course? Oh, yes, definitely. I would talk to them about what their issues are, and I would design at that time a personal program for them based on what they were looking for. But the athletes who want to improve their performance and a couple of executives that I've worked with who want to improve their concentration, attention span, and creativity, those programs may be anywhere from 10 to 14 days long. Mm. The people you're referring to... um, like a child with dyslexia, if it doesn't have a lot of other complications, will often be a 40-day listening program of an hour a day for 40 days. So you're right, it's not a quick fix. Uh, The brain is one of the slower organs to change. But now, fortunately, with all of the understanding we have about neuroplasticity, we know the brain does change in form and function in response to stimulation. Anyway, in response to stimulation, I guess. Yeah, that's that's really good to know. And, you know, a lot of people don't do this every day, so they'll probably extend this 40 days over uh, months, several months. You're absolutely right. We generally ask that they do the listening for one hour, at least 
one hour a day, three days a week. So oftentimes after about 30 hours of listening, people take a break for a few, two or three weeks and come back and continue. So it is over several months time uh, that they do the entire program. I should mention also that with more severe diagnoses or children with these diagnoses, such as cerebral palsy and other uh, injuries, we've had people do a program over a three or four year period of time. Mm-hmm. Take long breaks, maybe two or three months off and come back and do some more. So the brain is resilient, but in some of these difficulties, um, they need a lot more time under the headphones to improve the brain function. But the beauty is that they're still getting benefit. Mm-hmm. I met a woman with a young girl who had cerebral palsy. She did really, really well. Her coordination and balance, memory, cognitive functions were improving. We did a traditional 30-day program. And she kept coming back every three to six months. Later, I said, why do you keep coming back? Your daughter's doing great. She said, I keep coming back because every time we do, I see a little bit more improvement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Well, how can people find an ILS provider? I believe they can go to the Unite ILS website or ILS Unite, U-N-Y-T-E website. And on there, there should be a link to what's called a provider locator. And on the provider locator, they would look, put in their particular area and see if someone is nearby them. I'll put a link for this on the Heart and Soul of Healing website so people can click on it. Well, I want to segue to another topic that I know is important to you. And let's close with generosity, gratitude, and the immunity. How did you start thinking about this? Well, I've always been one who looks for ways to improve my own sense of being in the world. And so for many years, I practiced and still do to some extent, keeping a gratitude journal. Every evening, I write down the things that I think are um, that I've seen during the day that I'm grateful for, for the trees, the fresh air, my wife, relationships, my health. And generosity is also a very important aspect of our humanity. And I think that you bring this up at a time in which I think there's never been a time where we need generosity and gratitude more than the particular times we're living in. So how did I get interested in it? It's hard to say. I I have a, uh, I've done meditation for a number of years, and I think that generosity and uh, Gratitude is a very intimate part of that. Mm-hmm. If I look at your foundation or your website, the art and soul of healing, I think that gratitude and generosity strike at the very core of what art and he, uh, the art and soul of healing is all about. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you're asking me about gratitude at this time when we're only three days away from Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And so... I think Thanksgiving is one of our most important and cherished holidays of the year because people get out of themselves. They get out of their ego. They get out of their self-centeredness and begin to think of all the things they're grateful for and all the things that they cherish. And in the brain, gratitude and generosity 
are linked very closely together to the cingulate gyrus and the anterior medial frontal cortex. So we are both psychologically and neurologically hardwired for generosity and gratitude. It's really thing to me. Mm -hmm. We need to get out of our egos. And I guess being a psychiatrist who's helped people over the years uh, overcome their issues, helping them to be grateful for what they have rather than complaining about what they don't have was a core piece of my work. And I know that there's some continuity between your work with the ILS, Integrated Listening System, and generosity, gratitude, and the immunity. And, and I believe it's through vagals, the vagus nerve or vagal stimulation and its effect on the parasympathetics. Is that right? I'd like to answer your question about if I could go back to the changes I saw in children many years ago when I started doing this work. The first thing that parents would say when they come back in, they have a child with attention problems. They have a child with learning problems. They have a child with behavioral issues. The first thing the mothers would say is my child is happier. Across the board, hundreds of parents, my child is happier. They have a longer fuse. They don't get upset as frequently. When they do get upset, they regroup more quickly. And I knew that at that time, as we were talking about these changes, that it was due to the stimulation of the auricular branch of the vagus nerve that goes to the outer surface of the eardrum and the anterior surface of the ear canal. So given my background in medicine and neurology, I said, wow, these are vagal changes. So the ILS, way back in Tomatis' work that I was doing over 35 years ago, we were seeing changes through the vagal system due to auditory stimulation. And this whole effect on emotional regulation, and it probably does feed into this feeling of generosity and gratitude. Thank you for bringing that up. I really appreciate that because I think that it, it does. When we, when we feel better, when we feel enlightened, we feel healthy, we feel happy, we're inclined to want to be grateful for what we have. And gratitude engenders generosity. Those people who are the most grateful also turn out to be some of the most generous. So I think that the listening does engender that absolutely. Mm-hmm. And stress is, has to be alleviated with this calming program, it, you know, because it's making people more attentive. I, I want to close with, you told me a wonderful story when we were talking before about a patient from the Denver media that really shows what generosity and gratitude can mean. I think you're referring to an article that I wrote for Unite that's on their website, would be in their newsletter. And the title of that is Gratitude, Generosity, and Immunity. And this young woman was a a young woman who was a single mother and pregnant, had just been released from the hospital after being on a ventilator for a number of days. So she was out of funds, out of supplies, It was like Mother Cupboard's Hubbard was bare. A friend put a plea out in our neighborhood, and it was a tsunami of response for food and help and supplies. And she was just overwhelmed with the generosity that people received, or she received from their generosity, and so full of gratitude. 
Uh, it was a very, very compelling, it was just in the newspaper uh, around mm -hmm. um, about this woman who had a need and the people responded heroically with all kinds of help for her. So that really just, I thought about it. And I also know that when we're calm, when we're relaxed, when we're feeling generous, we're feeling grateful, our immune system is supported. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to tie those together and help people to know that feeling gratitude stimulates feelings of generosity. And both of those help the immune system, both for the giver of that, as well as the receiver of that. Mm -hmm. That's really beautiful. And that's so important for us to move out of this fear-based state that so many of us have been in for the last months. I, I couldn't agree more. We have a fear-based state. And I mentioned in the article that fear is infectious. And but so is gratitude. And so is generosity infection. And they do strengthen the immune system. That's wonderful. When we're feeling great gratitude and when we're feeling generous, something inside of ourselves, greater than ourselves, is activated. We move out of our ego-centered me, me, me approach to what we're seeing so much of right now and into the we. What can we do for one another? What can we do to help one another? And I just don't think there's anything more important right now that people could be doing than exercising gratitude and exercising generosity. And I, I mentioned that our Thanksgiving meals and Thanksgiving gatherings are so important because we feel good. We feel good at recognizing what we're grateful for instead of what we don't have. We feel good to be generous and ask other people over for our meals and help them out of need. I think that we're also hardwired to care about other people, to recognize their needs. And when we do this, we're inspired to help and we feel more joy, we feel upliftment, as well as the receiver of that is also helped. I was talking to someone recently about my feelings about gratitude and generosity. And she was a person who has made dozens upon dozens of masks for people to wear. They're beautiful. They even have a little slice inside that she made them where you can put a separate insert to increase the protection that you get. And I said, well, what, what prompted you to do this? She said, well, I just saw this huge need of people who can't afford or can't get masks. And she said, I just wanted to respond to the need. And she said, we are all connected to those who are doing without. She said, I just feel like telling them, you matter to me. Your well-being matters to me. Now, I don't know where to take that exactly, on the fact that I think she's putting in very succinctly something that we all feel if we just stop for a moment and tune in, but we're all wanting to help others and make this world a better place. So. I don't know if that answers the question or not. Oh, it answered it perfectly and a wonderful place to, to, to stop and thank. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm so grateful for your time and for you explaining these topics so our listeners can also partake and have, be, have their lives changed and improved. So sure thank has. you. Yes. Well, you are so very welcome. And I really enjoyed this time with you as well. 
Thank you, Dr. Ron. ILS therapy is an interesting therapy that has potential to help many with brain dysfunction find healing and a path back to vibrant engagement with life. I would also like to thank Alliance for Natural Health USA for standing in the gap for our health freedoms and making therapies like ILS available. Check out Alliance for Natural Health USA.org and become a member today.